Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. We bring you this podcast to support the industry of the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Before we get to today's topic, a quick mention of today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and pricing. Look for a special 10% off discount code for switching your instructor insurance over to them and entering in FTP10 at checkout. I use their insurance and think you will too after you check them out. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at HiViz Sites. HiViz has the innovative LightWave H3 site that combines tritium with their light pipe technology HiViz is known for to give you 24 hours a day illumination. Now you can have the advantage of day and night performance all in one site system. The new LightWave H3 ensures fast site acquisition and a bright site picture, day or night. Learn more at HiVizSites.com and see what you've been missing. This is going to be the first of a three-part series this month that we are doing on COVID-19 and keeping our instructors updated on how to deal with it. I think it's really important that everybody realizes some best practices and also get updated on everything that's going to be going on because we're, unfortunately stuck with it for the long term, I think for the most of the year, maybe even going into 2021. Uh, This is a three-part episode. Episode one today is going to be best practices on dealing with COVID-19 during your classes. Episode two, we're going to be talking about what the national training organizations have done in response to the pandemic. And then episode three, we'll be discussing about best practices for holding your class using Zoom. Today, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Clint Macro. How are you doing tonight, Clint? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show, man. It's it's always a always an honor to be here. Appreciate you making time for uh, for us tonight to record this because uh, you did an instructor update uh, last week, and I was uh, fortunate enough to sit in on it. I thought uh, you had some really good information that you shared with everybody, and I think it would be really beneficial to share with the broader audience with the Firearms Trainers podcast and get it out there. Sure, I'd be happy so. to. Uh, I came up with the uh, update. Uh, last week, uh, because a lot of my my folks, my instructors, people in, in my cadre were asking me for advice, and there wasn't a whole lot of guidance coming out through any of the national training organizations or or anywhere like that when it comes to dealing with COVID. And it it makes sense. I understand why. I mean, they're dealing with with thousands and thousands of instructors in many different jurisdictions, and and, and I get that. But I felt I owed it to my guys to come up with some ideas on how to best mitigate. COVID and also to protect their interests when they put classes on, as well as most importantly, protect their students. Exactly. And it's a changing environment. So we'll give the best information we have and obviously want to go along. And if you are living in a jurisdiction or someplace or the rules change when you listen to this, make sure you're following the government mandates. But hey, before we jump into things, Clint, for those listeners that don't know who Clint Macro is, can you give us a little bit of your background? Sure, sure. I've I've been a firearms trainer for a number of years now. I I started my life off as a as a recording engineer and producer, and been working in the music and film industry. And about ten years ago, well, actually about thirteen years ago, now God dropped the door in front of me and kicked me through it. And here I am in the firearms training world. And and I think it was a good thing. Uh, my company's called the Trigger Pressers Union, I'm based out of Pittsburgh, but I do travel the country. I haven't done as much travel this year because of COVID. I had to cancel some of my out-of-state classes, but I've been kept, uh, been keeping very busy teaching and instructing and empowering my fellow citizens. Also, I'm a co-administrator of National Train a Teacher Day, and 
co-host of Meet the Pressers with Matt Mallory and me. And uh, that show has been going on for about a, about a year and a half now as it's going. It's been going real well. And and uh, it's opened up a lot of new doors for opportunities to, to better myself as an educator because I get to kind of hang out with some interesting and amazing instructors when they come on to my show. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a busy, busy guy. That's uh, for sure. And you got a lot on your plate when it comes to all that stuff. So really thank you for coming on and spreading your wisdom when it comes to this. Yeah. As I said, yeah. it's always an honor to be on your show, Rob. <laughs> well, thank you. Wait, first thing, uh, first thing I'll throw out there um, for anybody that's listening, this show is not going to deny that COVID-19 exists. It exists. We got to deal with it. Okay. Everything beyond that is subject for interpretation, but I want to get out there for everybody just be, just begin with. Um, so Clint, from your standpoint, what are some of the things that instructors need to be aware of? Well, first and foremost, as we get into these, these call them mitigation practices, I want to make the statement that I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a medical professional and laws are going to vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And you already kind of made that statement there. It's the responsibility of all individuals who run classes to do the research, consult with professionals and make decisions that are appropriate for their own personal and professional needs, you know, and most importantly for the needs of their students. But, you know, it always goes back to instructor responsibility. The safety of our students in our classes is our responsibility. You know, as the instructor, the safety of my students is my responsibility. So we need to make sure that that training benefit significantly outweighs any risk. And those risks might be real and they might be perceived. So, you know, as you uh, made that statement about COVID, there's definitely controversy around how this uh, epidemic has been handled by government. And, you know, perhaps it's been overblown. Perhaps it's been underblown. We don't, we won't really know. Time will give us the true answer to that. Five years, we'll know the answer to that question, but we're in the middle of it now and won't know the answer for a while. Absolutely. So, so whether it is real or whether it is perceived, it is our responsibility as the instructor to do everything we can to protect our students. And I tell you what, we also need to protect our interests, our business, our families too, because uh, we want to do these things. And they're very simple things that we can do that will help to protect our students, but it'll help to protect our business. Because if you do some of these very simple things, like nobody could say that they ever caught COVID in your class if you just did some basic mitigation factors. So I, I think that's, a, that's a, a, a risk management thing for us as professionals as well. So as we look at the different mitigation standards, whatever that is, and as you mentioned, they do change quite honestly. Uh, quite often, rather, uh, you know, the social distancing or physical distancing, distancing, I think, is more of a, a real way to interpret that. The World Health Organization is saying one meter. So that's you know a little over three feet. And the CDC is saying six feet. OK, well, you know, which one is it? Well, I guess we err on the side of, of caution and look at the longer, longer distance. You know, the face masks have been being recommended, especially when those physical distances can't be observed. And then cleaning surfaces and hands, this is actually very easy to do. You know, disinfectant or water with a bleach mix, you know, how much bleach you use, just read the side of the bleach bleach bottle to tell you. You know, you can just quickly wipe down surfaces and then wash hands or use an alcohol-based sanitizer. Those those little things don't really cost that much money and they're they're easy to manage. And it demonstrates to the to the student too that you care because they can 
they see a mask or they smell the bleach, you know, they, they know the services have been disinfected from, as face it, COVID, you know, the flu, you know, bacteria, all the other kind of stuff. They know that you at least care to, to, to do something to mitigate it. Well, you know, part of what we, we do as educators is we, we're leaders. You know, we take on a leadership role with our students and they have to have some type of trust and buy-in with us in order for them to learn from us, but also from a business standpoint to come back and continue to take classes and, and pay tuitions. So I think going that little extra mile really shows that you do actually care about them. And I think that helps with that buy-in. So, you know, some of the things we can, we can kind of look at this as classroom mitigation strategies and range mitigation strategies. So, you know, first and foremost, the low enrollment classes, they help in this case because, you know, it's less people, there's, there's more room in your classroom. We'll talk about that. Some characteristics and preparation you can do to the classroom, some behavioral controls that you can implement, uh, personal protection equipment, training aids. And then uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about if you're doing practical exercises, you know, of course, uh, anyone teaching an NRA basic class, whether that be rifle, pistol, shotgun, are going to be doing some type of practical exercise. And in those cases, we might want to do uh, some, some extra work uh, in regards to the COVID mitigation. So with the low enrollment classes, obviously less people means less potential risk. Less students means more class space. Less students per class means more classes. Uh, now, you know, obviously, if you can't afford a afford to put a class on unless you have a certain amount of people. Well, that's that's a thing, certainly. But if you can afford to put a small class on, well, then put it on because you know what? More classes mean more teachy reps, give you more opportunities to hone your craft. Mm -hmm. Just like students need to do lots of reps to get good at running their gun, the more reps we do as instructors, we'll get better at teaching, right? And I tell you what, the, the low enrollment classes show the student that you care enough about their safety to sacrifice a little bit of income. Uh, actually, the first couple classes I did after the house arrests started happening and the lockdowns, uh, they were very low classes. We're talking like two or three people, and I, I did a bunch of them. And each one of, each one of those classes, somebody pulled me aside and said, dude, I really appreciate that uh, you're doing this because you can't be making a ton of money off of this class. And I said, yeah, well, I, I, I want to do it because you know, uh, you, your safety and, and your family's safety is important to me. And well, and our say are in our family's safety too. I mean, this isn't, you know, we're doing this not only for the students benefit, but you know, we're going back to our family and loved ones, our parents, things like that. And, you know, we've got to look at it both ways too. You know, it helps the students and also helps us too. So, you know, some of these practices that I'm going to tell you about, I, just so you know, I didn't just make them out of the air. Uh, some of them are kind of common sense, but a lot of the information I did receive came from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, of all the big organizations, uh, NSSF uh, did give a lot of, lot of information out to people that own ranges and, and uh, educators and you know, gun shops and stores. So I was able to glean a lot of information from NSSF. So if you would like to see like actual documentation for some of this, go on to the NSSF website and they have a COVID mitigation strategy page. And I, it may just say COVID-19 on it, but you'll find it. It's pretty easy to find and it'll give you lots of information in there. But getting I'll, in, I'll look that up and make sure it's in the show notes for okay, everybody. Okay, great, great, great. As far as the classroom characteristics, space your students out. Uh, you know, teach outdoors if you can. I've been doing most of my classroom classes uh, at the picnic grove at my, at my local club here. 
uh, where they have picnic tables and it's a big giant pavilion where they normally, you know, do, do 4th of July parties and, and Christmas or not Christmas, but uh, birthday parties and stuff. So, uh, I was able to, the one corner of it's kind of blocked off. So it's dark enough to see a PowerPoint. It's, it's a little hard to see. It's not ideal, but it definitely works and it keeps people outdoors. So with outdoors, you have more airflow. If you're indoors, throw a couple fans up in the back of the room just to facilitate some airflow. Uh, the data that I've seen says that if there is airflow, there's less, there's less possibility of, of infection, uh, as I understand it. it. You know, the airflow is very important. Mm-hmm. Wipe down, wiping down tables, chairs, training aids. It's important to leave evidence of your cleansing effort. I think that's important because you want your students to see that, to see that you care, but also from a risk management standpoint, if there's evidence that you're cleaning, it shows that you're actually doing something as opposed to just ignoring it. And uh, ignoring it could potentially get us into, uh, you know, uh, liability waters down the road, perhaps. So I would also say, don't set out containers that are full of cleaning supplies. Set out containers that are half full of cleaning supplies or sanitizer. That way people see that you're actually using it. Um, set up multiple stations for hand sanitizers. You know, uh, at, at first it was stuff that you had to only get on the black market, but now hand sanitizer is pretty, pretty easy to find now. So, you know, pick up a couple bottles. I normally will leave one bottle on each one of my tables uh, and then, you know, have some other things elsewhere, like make sure I've got good ivory soap and water at a, at a sink location. Mm-hmm. And, and when, the, when the students walk in to the classroom environment, whether that's indoors or, or at the pavilion or wherever you're teaching, when they smell that bleach, I think that wonderful smell of bleach equals trust. Uh, I, I really think that does. So some behavior controls that you can put into the classroom, assign the seating. If you just leave it, you know, festival seating, like, like you know, the old, the old concerts in the park kind of thing, people will just kind of migrate wherever they want to. And a lot of times they'll stack up on one another. But if you put books out or put clipboards out or name tags and assign seating, making sure that you can get the, the seating as far apart from one another, you know, optimally in that six foot, you know, social distancing uh, uh, distance, uh, that, would be, that would be ideal. And designate where and when personal protection equipment is mandatory or optional. Um, you know, there may be times when you want them absolutely to wear masks and there, if you have enough distance, maybe you don't want them to wear masks all the time. Uh, you know, and I'd like to tell all my students ahead of time, bring your mask and I empower them. I'll say, look, if you want to wear a mask the entire time, by all means do that. You will get no judgment from me. I appreciate that and I'll endorse that. But I have you know, I'll have people spread out enough and with enough airflow that I would be comfortable sitting there. And, you know, of course, ultimately that's their decision. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now with the PPE, the personal protection gear, the sanitizing stations, you know, having some hand sanitizer, I would say avoid loner eye and ear protection. You know, all of us as instructors, we have that old cardboard box in the back of our truck that has a whole bunch of old eyes and ears. I wouldn't recommend that. I think it's, uh, you know, because then they get kind of cruddy anyhow when you let people borrow them. But now with the whole, you know, with the, the possibility of COVID, I think risk benefit, as cheap as eye and ear protection is, uh, if someone needs some, I would just give it to them. And of course, make sure they know ahead of time to bring their own and then maybe you don't have to deal with that. Uh, I also make masks and gloves available. 
you know, in my, in my email of the what to bring, you know, tell them what they got to bring to the class. I tell them they need to bring their own mask and bring some gloves. And if they don't, then, well, I have some available to them. Uh, give this, give the students permission to wear the PPA, PPE in the classroom whenever they want, you know, get that out there because, you know, frankly, a lot of people, especially their, that are gun folk that are taking classes and stuff, um, have a feeling that this might be overblown and sensationalized for political reasons. And, and uh, I would be lying to you if I didn't feel that way to a degree myself, but I'm also old enough to know that I might be wrong. So mm-hmm. in that case, if someone feels more comfortable wearing it, no problem. As I said, you'll get no judgment from me. Uh, well, I think one thing we need to realize too, in some jurisdictions, it's the law that businesses have to do certain things. And that's one of those things sure, that we need to sure. be very aware of also. I mean, it's, we can be all, uh, rebellious as we want, but if somebody, if somebody from the health department come in there and, and shut down our class, ticket us to something else like that, that's not good for business, as they say. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Now with training aids, you know, minimizing exposure to anything that's communal, you know, like if you have that one training, like that, that big giant cartridge that you pass around when you're doing ammunition components or something, you know, you might want to, might want to wipe those down. And uh, if you're going to be handling things like, especially during a, a practical handling exercise where you might have a, a number of students come up to a table and load and unload and cock and decock, you know, a bunch of rifles, probably a good idea to request that they put gloves on in that case. Uh, so encourage them to hand, to wear gloves when handling the training aids or have them wash their hands before and after the, the, uh, the training session where you're using the training aids or, or, you know, I'm thinking like cert pistols. Like if you're doing a, a virtual range exercise where you're, where you're, you know, practicing the fundamentals with some cert guns, that might be, might be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times in, in the classes I've been able to do since this started, and, and I have to tell you, my, my mitigation strategy has evolved uh, throughout this. Like each class, I try something different and I've done something new. Um, but what I have been doing uh, in, in my classes is when those practical handling exercises, uh, like in the NRA basic rifle course or the basic pistol or the basic shotgun or the home firearm safety, in those cases, uh, because there's so much one-on-one coaching that has to be done a lot of times when working the action types, uh, I do recommend and make it, or actually or I make it mandatory for people to mask up for those practical handling exercises. Uh, I've just not been able to do those in any way other than getting real close together, working those, those exercises, especially when you're watching for muzzle discipline and trigger finger discipline. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that helps, that keeps you safe as well as keeping them safe. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time. Absolutely. So on the range, uh, you know, we've got indoor ranges and outdoor ranges. So um, I would say there's probably a different approach for each one. You know, the same thing with the range. If you have less people, there's less risk, there's more space. And, you know, for NRA courses where we have to maintain, or at least in the basic courses, maintain a two to one instructor ratio, that means less instructors that we would need to have come in too. Um, and, you know, obviously more, more classes that you put on the more TT reps. I, I always mm-hmm. like to, you know, make sure that that glass of lemonade is half full, not half empty. Right. So definitely getting more opportunities to teach is a good thing. Outdoors. I would choose an outdoor range. I typically like shooting outside. Anyhow, even believe it or not, even when it's raining, I'd rather be outside than on an indoor range. Personally, uh, that being said, outdoors gives you the best chance for organic airflow. 
and all the data that we do have, whatever, you know, whatever that is to you, it, it is indicating that outdoor, you're at much less risk than you are if you are indoor. So having that organic airflow um, is, is a big thing. And of course, you may have more space to spread students out on an outdoor range. I think that's probably, probably safe to say generally on an outdoor range, you'll have more space than on an indoor range, especially if you're not dealing with booths and dividers and all that stuff as well. So also, you'll have more options to spread out for teaching. Uh, I really, really do not like teaching with a mask on because, you know, 80% of our communication is nonverbal and, and to see the face and to be able to see expression, you know, you get an, you can get a read on what your students are, are, are understanding or what they might need uh, more information on. So I like to spread people out on the range when I'm doing a point of instruction and give myself plenty of space so we can take the masks off. Um, I recommend on indoor ranges to use every other stall. This is something that NSSF was pretty big about. Uh, they recommend using every other stalls. And in that case where you're in a stall, which is tight to begin with, uh, it's probably something instructors should consider wearing masks whenever they're doing line coaching on an indoor, indoor range in one of those stalls. Now, some behavior controls we can do indoors while using every other stall. That's going to space people out. But outdoors... If you set the targets at least six feet apart, people will generally square up to their target without you even telling them. You'll, you'll gain some space there. But I've been using tables as well. I've been placing tables down as like a firing line on the, on the outdoor range. I was able to pick up a whole bunch of cheap tables. And people will kind of belly up to the bar, so to speak. They'll find their table and they'll kind of stay put. And then if I'm doing any rifle stuff where I'm using mats, then I'll put the mat on the side of the table and that table kind of acts as a divider and, and is a good behavior control and it keeps people from, uh, uh, you know, piling up on one another. Of course, be sure to wipe that stuff down before, before your range activities. And again, you don't have to scrub it, just like spray it. You know, I, I generally will spray it down. I won't even wipe it. I'll spray it down and then I'll leave it. And by the time I'm done with my range safety briefing, it's all dry. You know, another benefit of being outside. So, quick, quick question about that. Yeah. Have you found anything, any of the uh, disinfectants that have uh, marred the surface of the tables or training aids or firearms that you've sprayed it on? Well, um, I've been using uh, the, the bleachy kind of wipies, but the ones that don't have bleach in it for any equipment. But mm -hmm. for my tables, I'm just using a water bleach mix. And okay. so I haven't noticed any discoloration. Uh, frankly, most of them are white plastic tables. So they just, they come out like shiny and clean. <laughs> they look so, cleaner. Yeah, they look That's cleaner. good. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's a good point though, because you know, you, you wouldn't want to. Don't want to bleach your, your Glocks or your you yeah, know, yeah. SIGs and things like that. That's going to uh, mess up the finish more than likely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, you can Google this uh, Safari Land. Uh, the company that makes, uh, you know, duty gear. Safariland had a had an article where they gave best practices for wiping down duty gear. So considering that a lot of duty or duty gear is made out of uh, Kydex and other materials like that, that might be a good thing to look at. And that's where I got the idea of using the like the Clorox wipes, but the ones that didn't have bleach in it that kind of smell lemony fresh, which is another added bonus. So. Mm -hmm. With, with the mask on the outdoor range, now this, this is something that I feel very strongly about. Because of the complications associated with outdoor training, especially direct exposure to weather, you know, like sun and heat, 
and potential dehydration and because masks potentially reduce oxygen intake. I, I think it does reduce oxygen intake. So, you know, less oxygen to the brain might impair judgment or motor skills. So, you might choose not to wear a mask outdoors during live fire exercises. And uh, I actually will have my students take their masks off, provided I have lots of space. But I think, you know, weighing risk and benefit, uh, setting my students up for a situation where they're now warmer, they're sweating more, they're getting less oxygen to their brain is probably not a good idea while they're handling firearms. And keep one thing in mind, you have people with asthma and yeah. uh, some that are have uh, exercise-induced asthma caused by you know the carbon dioxide that normally you know when they exercise and if they have a mask on they may not be exercising but it's going to cause the same kind of breathing complications so that's something that everybody needs to keep in mind and to your suggestion when they get up to the firing line and, and do do such they should be social distancing and take the mask off to allow you know better oxygen flow yeah yeah most certainly and and you know what the cdc does have tons of documentation on you know where it's probably a good idea to remove face masks while doing any type of, uh, you know, exercise or anything that was is physical or may may impair mental conditions. You know, so um, I think it's it's reasonable and smart to do that. And you know, as a firearms professional working with people on the firing line, like dehydration is a huge problem with folks outside. And I can only think that wearing a mask would make that even worse. So with that alone, I'm telling my students, no, I, I don't want you to wear a mask while you're handling the firearms and working on the range doing live fire exercises. So one of the other aspects of this, though, you know, we're talking about protecting ourselves and our students, you know, as far as health concerns uh, go. But this is also kind of professional risk mitigation, too. You know, as you said, there are there are government agencies trying to shut folks down from doing business and and. You know, in some states, firearms training is deemed, quote, essential because, well, it is and it's part of the Second Amendment and it supports hunting and personal defense. But other states, not so much the case. It's a little gray area there. So, you know, we, of course, want to protect our interests as professionals. So you want to make sure you set up the right expectation with your students when they sign up. And I think it's always a good idea to do that anyhow. You know, whenever someone signs up for a course, you, you want to give them lots of information. One of the biggest complaints I have gotten from students who, like, used to work with another instructor, but they ended up coming to me was, well, that other instructor never told me what to bring and what time to get there. And, you know, so the communication aspects of this is, is pretty high anyhow. You know, we, we need to uh, give our students lots of information. So I would say, you know, in that initial email that you give them, let them know that you're going to be observing reasonable COVID mitigation practices, you know, set up that expectation and, you know, set it up because their safety is important to you. And, you know, frankly, as I said before, as instructors, their safety is our responsibility. If a student's uncomfortable with attending in-person training, uh, attending any in-person training, or if a family member is sick or showing symptoms, or if they feel ill then they should absolutely not attend the class. You know, so you may potentially consider uh, 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 carrying credit for someone. You know, I, I, don't, I don't give refunds unless I cancel a class. That's my policy. And I have that policy on my website. It's, it's documented. You know, if, if you're going to be coming to my class, well, frankly, I made space for you. I got the material for you. I'm mentally prepared to teach you. And if you bail on me, I'm not going to give you a refund. Uh, now, 
I'll probably carry credit and you can take another class down the road. If I cancel a class, well, then I think it's, I think it's reasonable and prudent that I would give a refund. So if someone were to say, you know, I don't feel comfortable coming to the course. I actually had someone say that to me uh, about a week ago and their mother, he lives with his mother and she is, uh, at, you know, an at risk age. And I said, no problem, dude. You know, we'll, we'll take another class after this blows over. I'll carry credit. It's not a problem. And, uh, so, you know, he, he thanked me for that. So I want to think that, that, that maybe, uh, solidified him as a, as a client moving forward and through time. Mm-hmm. I would say to put a little bit of personal responsibility onto the student though, require that they bring their own eye and ear protection as well as their own cloth face mask. Because if they bring their own and they choose not to wear it, that's, that's on them, right? You know, uh, if, if I tell them not to bring a mask and I ignore it, well then now that liability slips into my, to my lap a little, little heavier. So have them bring their own mask so that they have one. And of course, in those instances where it's prudent, you'll be putting that mask on anyhow. So as far as uh, instructor liability insurance, you know, there are many different carriers out there and I, I've thankfully, and I'm glad to say that I've joined the, the uh, FTA family. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I learned about it from, from, uh, from you on this show and, and did some research and I've done some work with some of their board members in the past and, and, uh, it's, it's definitely a better product. So I, I jumped over, I was with, I was with those other guys for a good, good 11 years, but, uh, wherever you get your liability insurance from as an instructor, you need to consult with them and see if they have anything that they recommend as far as, uh, any mitigation strategies or anything like that. I think that's mm-hmm. a safe bet for you to do updated liability form or something else like that, because there could potentially be somebody coming back and say, Hey, I, I caught it your class and brought it. And that's where it's a, it's a layered approach to be able to say, well, we cleaned this, we did this, we wore face masks. So if you caught it here, it's very, very, very unlikely might've caught it going to the car. Yeah. One of the, one of the things in, on the NS in a webinar that the NSSF uh, had, they talked at great length about adding COVID-19 explicitly to your, your uh, waiver. You know, most people's waivers talk about slips and falls and personal injury, all that kind of stuff. But adding COVID to the waiver uh, was something that I was very interested after seeing that. And then I consulted my attorney who happens to be Josh Prince here in Pennsylvania with Firearms Industry Consulting Group. And and he said, absolutely. And so he redrafted my waiver and added that in there and a few other things. So I, I highly recommend that you really work with a, a good pro Second Amendment attorney when you, when you do a waiver. Um, after seeing what he had redone to my waiver that I had, I, it really, uh, man, it just it gave me more peace of mind. Um, you know, the, the media kind of promotes that waivers don't mean anything. You know, they, it's like they say, oh, that's what you wipe your butt with. But I, I tell you what, uh, every lawyer that I've talked to, um, the courts put a lot of personal responsibility on people when they sign waivers. So make sure that you have one that, that works really well for what you need to do, and especially one that considers this COVID-19 crisis. Now, one of the biggest risk management things that we can do as instructors is to document. Uh, you know, a lot of people kind of get a little upset with all the paperwork that you have to do in an NRA course if you're running it right. Well, that's, that's there to protect you and protect your business and to protect your interests. 
So in addition to filing any, any required course reports or performance requirement checklists, if you're doing an NRA course or, you know, your tests, your qual scores, if you have to run a qual, and then of course, having a copy of every waiver that each one of your students has signed, you want to make some type of record of your mitigation efforts. You know, I've been, I always take a lot of pictures in my classes. So I, I have a, a picture of my cleaning stations and then of course, uh, you know, any, any uh, masks and gloves that I have, have there that are available to the students. Uh, but probably a good idea to formulate a checklist. You know, any of you guys that are chief range safety officers, we all know about checklists. And, and yes, we do. <laughs> what, making up a checklist, it says, you know, I've wiped down the tables. I did this. I did that. I did the other thing. And then document it. You know, save it. Put down the class time, the title, whatever, and put it in that envelope with all the other other paperwork that you have from that class. And I can only say that that, I can't think that that would be anything but um, good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's just one more thing that you could fall back on if ever there was some type of uh, liability issue moving forward. Yep. That's uh those are really good points. Uh, Clinton, you brought up because um, I was doing probably the majority of those. But I think, you know, I picked up a few my, myself that I'm going to start uh, when I do my class uh, next weekend because it's uh, going to be a virtual class, but I still have a lot of range stuff going on. And that is a, uh, one of those that we've got to mitigate the, my liability as well as keeping the uh, students safe. So I appreciate yeah. you, you uh, going over all that. Yeah, well, as, again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a, I'm not a, a physician. I'm not a, an expert on disease. But... I do know that I will continue to do this and I will continue to train people, not only because I think it's the right thing to do and we need to empower our fellow citizens. You know, getting everybody armed is only one part of our Second Amendment. The other part is that well-regulated and that's training. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, we're, we're, we're facilitating the exercise of rights here, but also this is how I feed my family too. You know, so if, if my business were to get jacked up in some way, that's going to make it very hard for me to, keep the lights on and keep food in my, in my boy's belly. And think about it this way with, uh, it's one thing from a liability standpoint that we could get sued, but think what would it do to your business if somebody just starts saying, Hey, that guy, you know, that guy doesn't clean his tables and two people got COVID last week and that starts spreading. You wouldn't even have to be sued. All what you have to do is have that rumor spread. And then what's that going to do to your business? Things going to drop off. And instead of being that good word of good word of uh, mouth going around with people, they're, they're going to be uh, shying away from you because you didn't show enough care for your students to clean things, uh, clean things regularly, show to them that you cared. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, there's no guarantee that someone still might not, you know, transmit a disease somewhere. I mean, you know, you could get gonorrhea off a toilet seat, I guess, I, if, if that's a thing. <laughs> but, but, but the bottom line is, if we're doing some very simple things that don't really cost a whole heck of a lot of money and don't take a heck of a lot of time either, if we're doing those very simple things, it makes it much less likely that we're going to have students get sick and much less likely that we're going to get sued by someone moving forward. Perfect. Well, hey, Clint, I really appreciate your time today. Where can people find more about you and your company? Well, you can find more about the Trigger Pressers Union on triggerpressersunion.com. You can see all my classes and read my articles and watch my videos and stuff on there. Of course, uh, if you want to watch 
Uh, well, I, I guess the second coolest podcast in the world outside of yours <laughs> uh, would be Meet the Pressers. So, you know, you can see Meet the Pressers on YouTube. Uh, we've got uh, we're in our second season now. And I just uh, I'm going to be releasing episode. Uh, well, I don't know. We're in the mid 30s for uh, for season two. We had uh, uh, quite a few last season. So uh, we're, we try to get an episode out a week. Uh, this last week, I was not able to get one out because I was prepping for National Train of Teacher Day. And I just I just did not have time for that. Uh, mm -hmm. We got some pretty cool episodes coming up. So that's uh, Meet the Pressers. No, you can all we have meetthepressers.com is our website. You can find all the links and stuff on there too. And that's great. Matt Mallory and, and me. Yep. Matt, uh, Matt's a good guy too. So, yeah, he is. Yep. We'll have him on uh, episode three for anybody who, who uh, wants to listen to him to talk yeah. about Zoom. I tell you what, you know, since this whole COVID thing started, I have, he has been doing amazing amounts of Zoom classes. So yeah, he's definitely someone that uh, that I consult with whenever I you know whenever I have one that comes up. He's mm -hmm. he's he's been doing a lot of them. Well, I think one of the next episode we're going to be doing that probably going to be of interest to a lot of people is talking about how the national training organizations have responded and what the trainers for the for those organizations can do as far as uh, conducting classes in today's uh, world so that's a little teaser for what's going to be coming up in next week's episode but um, that'll wrap things up for today and if you enjoyed today's episode uh, go out take those best practices and apply them to your class um, make sure you visit the fireman trainers association at ftaprotect.com check out their instructor insurance and use uh, promo code FTP10. Tell our other instructors about this podcast, especially about COVID uh, precautions that they should be taking. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and meet the Pressers podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have input, questions, or feedback, email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com or leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Till next time, stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.